Welcome to Hot Off the Press, a podcast that provides knowledge and emotional support for new and aspiring printers. I'm Jillian of Studio Soprano. And I'm Mariah of Mariah Creates, and we are two letterpress printers who believe in sharing our knowledge and learning together. We're here to help bridge the gap between antique printing methods and modern design. So hang up your apron, put down those palette knives, and let's get into what's hot off the press. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Hot Off the Press. I'm Jillian of Studio Soprano, and today I'm joined not only by the fabulous Mariah of Mariah Creates, but we also have some returning guests. We have Shelly and Max Otto from Concord Engraving. Hi, guys. Yay, welcome back. Hi. How are you doing? Great. Thank you so much for coming back. Yeah, thanks for having us. Okay, so the discussion we're going to have today all started when uh, – friend and fellow printer sent Mariah and I a photo of some plates that she sent off to be made without realizing that she didn't adjust her opacity. And she texted us a photo and was like, oh my gosh, if you send plates in at less than 100% opacity, they print with little dots. And so of course, I had to immediately reach out to Shelly and ask her if this is how halftone is done and what this is about. And so here we are ready to discuss screening plates and halftone with the experts. So my first question is, can you tell us more about screen plates, how they are made, how they're like, what the difference is between those and normal plates? Um, so there's there's no real difference in how we make them. It's all front end. It's uh, called raster image processing, which is how we take your line work PDF and then uh, convert it to uh, a form where we can then image it. So we uh, we work at about four thousand DPI. So that's dots per inch. So it's it's kind of weird because you go from perfect line work that's it's smooth. But the only way an imaging device can image it is if we transfer it back to pixels. So the raster image processing takes that nice smooth line uh, work file and then makes it a uh, a raster image that it you know whether it's a, a TIFF or a LenX or different sort of files depending on your imager, um, and that's how we then image the file uh, whether it's line work or screening. So with screening. What it does is it will, it we will dependent on the tone of the file, uh, at then create a dot on a grid pattern corresponding with that tone. So tone meaning how many colors are in the, the original image or artwork? Well, you have to turn it to in Letterpress's case, you would turn it to 100% black or whatever you're printing. But if you go into like a process uh, arena you will then screen those colors in CMYK and all of those colors mixed together on these screens will then form rosettes that will give you unlimited amounts of color. Cool. Almost unlimited. <laughs> yeah. It, it can be very technical. Yes, it is. It's so it all, it all starts with the file preparation, basically. Um, and when you want to print with halftone, you're basically, the goal is to cut down on the amount of times, the amount of impressions, on the press. So instead of having to print with four plates, you're going to try to find a way to make the same uh, country uh, landscape with only one plate. And you do that by adjusting the percentages of the color that you want to use. We reference black because it's just the most, you know, the most yeah. common basic, but it could be any color. You just want to make sure that it's only one color and that it's a variation of those colors. Because if you do set up a file in a CMYK profile, and then it comes to me and I have to grayscale it, it does change the appearance of the, the look. So you definitely want to make sure that when you're preparing your file, you're working out of one, one color. I know a lot of um, designers and printers are visual, so they like to see the actual color. So it really doesn't matter as long as it's just one. Um, and then when you're setting up the files, one of the things that you want to take into consideration is um, the difference in percentages because a lot of times people will send in a file 
and they'll want to print with a half tone. They'll want to get some definition. Maybe it's like an image, a photograph, or an image of an, a, an animal, um, and they want it to look like it's got depth and um, shade to it. But they'll send the percentages very close together, like 80, 90, 100%. Um, when you talk about dot gain, which we'll let Max talk about in a minute, um, an impression on press, that 80% is going to print closer to your 100%. So when you're setting up these files initially, you need to be really, I don't want to say drastic because it sounds dramatic, but you want to be drastic with the shade differences that you're using in order to get that final contrast at the end. So it's definitely important when you're preparing your files to take into consideration dot gain and the fact that you're going to get 10 to 15% more dot gain when you print than what you're looking at in your PDF. So 60 to 70 is not going to be enough of a separation. You're going to want to do a little more drastic, like 50 to 70, 45 to 70 sort of situations. Okay. Yeah. And you guys sent me a really handy tool, which is like the gradient from 10% up to 100. And I'll post a photo. I just recently ran a print of that fleet and I'll post a photo for this episode. Um, but it is really interesting how close like 190 and 80 are together or like really any three together are yeah. are pretty close. Yeah. I like to kind of tell people to, if they want to see contrast, you got to go 20%, you know, maybe mm -hmm. you can get away with 15% if you're doing a kiss impression, but if you're doing a, a decent impression and you want something to change, you know, it's not like looking at your screen. Um, even when like we have some customers that will print like a, a picture, like a photograph and make it look like mm -hmm. an old one color, what is it like a tin, tin type or whatever, however an old photograph would look. Um, and what we'll actually do is we'll put a bell curve on the file. So we can actually take that file and not lighten it up manually in our, in our software. We can actually say, all right, we want to put a 10% cutback. And when I say that we're doing at 50%, it's actually going to drop it to a 40 and it's going to do that parabolically through the tonal range. So you still have progression through the whole tonal range, but you are lightening the photo up, which you're then going to gain back at press. So, wow. and that's because you know, of the dot gain. That's because of dot yes. gain. So whenever you're doing any sort of relief or printing, any sort of relief printing, you know, the dot is going to squish and expand the paper is going to accept ink and it's going to expand etc cetera, etc cetera. so dependent on how much ink you put on the plate dependent on all of those things you know we can we can predict and uh and you know make adjustments to go more consistent with the actual file but testing needs to happen in order to get that precise with it but generally anywhere in that nine to 15% range. That's where you guys are looking. That's what we've seen. So a, po a popular attempt for halftone is watercolor. And I noticed because I do a lot of the file preparation that as the files are built, there are these teeny tiny pieces, maybe 500 little pieces that make up a chunk in the file. And so if I get this um, file in and say the customer's in a rush, because quite often in letterpress, <laughs> we are, we're in a rush um, yeah. and there's not time to send the test plate in to do the testing. That's a perfect example of when we would apply this curve that Max is referencing, because I would love to go in and change 500 tiny pieces one at a time, but I'm not able to do that. So when I notice that it's too dark and we're afraid that they're not going to get the definition that they need, we apply that simple curve, which is already set in our uh, ripping program. And it, it manually adjusts for us automatically instead of me having to manually adjust for us everything by lightening it up. So it is an option that we have, um, you know, when we have those files, like I said, the watercolor, or we had a, we did a photograph, uh, a customer's father's photograph um, that we applied curves to because we were literally, you know, we really only had the photo to work off of. Um, so there's lots of different things that you can do um, in order to, you know, to get but better definition in the, in the file. Here's the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to screen it yourself in Photoshop or mm. like that. It's not the right, There's it's not the right avenue yeah. to do it. You're not actually creating dots because we've actually seen where people, no, no, we're going to screen it ourselves and they'll screen it, but they actually blew the file up to not the actual size. And then they'll screen it and then shrink it down to the size that they're at. And that will actually change your lines per inch because you've already set 
you've already set the line screen, but when you change the size and shrink it, then the line screen changes. So you set it at a hundred at a five by five, but you shrink it down to a one by one. That's more, that's now 600% more lines per inch. So those dots are now tiny. You're never going to be able to print it, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, even imaging, it's difficult. So you guys generally work in that 85 to 110 lines per inch, uh, you know, area for, I mean, you're using hundred year old presses. You're not going to go to 150, 175, 200. So yeah. that's the, that's kind of the realm that you want to be in. Well, let us screen it. Well, but the moral of the story is we do it for you. Let us do it. And you're going to have a better result. So if someone did want to, let's use both of those examples, a photograph or something that's watercolor imaged, they could send you an actual just photo and Composite, you guys will yeah. create the screening. Well, they want to, if it, if they're going to do the photo in a one color black hole, you know, grayscale it, you know, get it to where you want it, the lightness that you want, the contrast that you want, then say, Hey, take a look at it. What do you think? And then we can look at it and be like, oh, that might get a little dark. You know, maybe you've already lightened it up. If you've already lightened it up, then it might not need anything. But it's always worth a conversation when it gets to that. You know, some people know that what's going to happen on their press and they'll manually do it before sending it to us. Or they'll be like, hey, we need some help. And that's when we'll talk about the docking and possibly curbing it. So discussion is always good. With a photograph, you know, you, some sometimes you it's an older photograph, so you don't have a digital copy of it. If you have a digital copy of it, it's very easy for you to drop into whatever program you use, Photoshop, AI, Grayscale, make the changes. Um, if it is an actual photo, a photograph, we do have partic uh, certain customers that will mail them to us and we will scan them for us because we have a scanner to where we can get them at a pretty high DPI. Um, because commonly when you, somebody wants to print with a half tone, um, a, an issue that we see if it's coming off of a scan, um, like maybe it was a hand-drawn picture at once is that they don't scan it in at a high, a high enough resolution to, to begin with, which is going to give you problems right out the gate. So if you don't have access to a scanner where you can get it scanned in at least a minimum of 600 DPI, then you could totally send us the actual um, image and we could do it for you too. Most people are very protected about their originals and they like to try to get a digital um, file of it sent over. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately for us, the process starts in the same spot when the file becomes digital. Makes sense. That's so awesome. It's funny because for so long, I know Mariah and I have talked about this on the podcast. We're like vector files only. Everything must be outlined. And it kind of just opens up a whole new world. I was talking to you about these specific types of plates. I immediately came up with something just to test it. And I ran like a few, um, few shapes that made like a rainbow at different opacities and printed them with different colors and the quality of the overlay and the colors that were created from those were so much better than when I've done overprinting before in the past with just like a hundred percent black yeah. plate. Yeah. So yeah. what also what also happens when we do the the, the raster processing is it will if you are printing multiple colors over each other, it actually sets that grid, that screen on a different angle. So that angle will then create a rosette. So you're not trying to print dot on dot. So if you try to print a dot on top of a dot, you can't do it. And it will actually change that shade or create a moire to your eye. So if you print them on a different angle, they don't overlap completely ever. So they, but they consistently Will miss, they'll miss consistently, creating a consistent shade to your eye as well throughout that tonal range in that area. That's how all the product packaging that you guys buy, all the, you know, that's how they create all of these colors on whether it's Offset, Reviewer, or Flexo for all this product packaging, newspapers, anything. Um, that's how you get a myriad of colors on your print because it's not all digital. That's so cool. That is cool. So let's say... Um... You know, that rainbow, for example, was something that was very simple. So I had already sent it over to you guys as like three pieces that were broken up and set at different opacities, which may kind of mess up the system of like getting that sort of correct layer of the dots. 
So let's say I did have something really simple like that. Would it be best to send that over to you guys as one united piece that's grayscaled and set to the opacities, but like all layered on top of each other? Or what's the best for setting up? That's more of a question for Shelly as far as how she wants to handle the file. Something like that is pretty simple. So, you know, Shelly would be better answering that as far as how she wants to receive the file, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think I think what she's asking is, did it make a difference no. that, that, right? So I guess this is something that would be good for you to address, Max, because you were t- talking about the rosette, because, right, she was saying that she yeah. really liked the overlay. So if all of the plates are ripped with the same curve, yeah, I mean, we would just, if at that point, they're separate pieces. The se- color mm-hmm. separation's been done. Our software will automatically color separate as well. If you do send a composite, it will assign that, you know, Pantone pink or red 185, the purple, whatever, you know, it will assign a different angle and color separate that file. And by the time we get it to the imager, it's all black anyways. It's just in different colors, different tiffs. So... You know, it's kind of it's kind of your choice what you want to do there. That's you know, cool. If, if That's you, cool if, to know that, like, on the receiving end, it can be broken down. Like, let's say if there was something more specific, like we knew we wanted to achieve a certain shade of green w- using a certain shade of yellow or something, and then we sent you guys the actual like composite image and then it gets yeah, broken yeah, down for sure i mean then you're getting into you know an almost like a duotone or an almost a process print you know when max is talking about the rosettes a, a great example was we had a customer we did a they did a cmyk um letterpress print initially they had sent us the four separations bitmapped so they had gone in they had done their pre-screen they had bitmapped it so technically it was 100 percent black at that point. So once it came to us, there was really nothing that we could do to manipulate the file. And mm. it was um, a particular image that had many, many small, small dots, especially in the black plate. So initially I saw it and I said, mm, I'm really concerned. And they had explained in the email that they were trying to do a CMYK process, that they were testing this out and what, you know, and what they had done to the files before. In that instance, we reached back out to them and asked us to send them the, the, the initial art done as CMYK. And when we ripped that, that's where that rosette um, example that Max was giving would really apply because we ripped it, that four color process file as one one chunk together and then it outputted four individual films to make into four individual plates and then they layered the plates and the color process to have it look as close as possible to the initial um cmyk file that they sent us yeah so there's so there yeah sorry there's one more that shelly kind of brought up right there when it's talking about little tiny so the plate can only hold so much and a hundred year old press can only hold so much as far as small goes. Mm-hmm. So our software also allows us to bump that minimum of your color up to a position where the plate can hold it and you guys can print it cleanly, which is generally four to five percent. You know, you guys. So if you have a piece of image in in there that's 0.4 percent, which typically, you know, you you make a file with it's a TIFF or whatever, you don't necessarily think of that. But it will then, the software will then bump that up. So it will take the information you have, make it printable, and go from there. So you can't go too small because you can't print it. The plate can't hold it. It won't be there. So what it'll do is it'll automatically grab that from the composite and boost that up so you have the information that's in the file still on the plate. That's awesome. So what kind of difference is there like for different plate materials, you know, like using a deeper relief plate material versus, you know, like other uh, thinner varieties? Yeah. So if you, yeah, I mean, there is a big difference as far as, you know, printability goes and getting into screening, Um, you know, definitely in that shadow area, which is that low dot range, Um, a thinner plates, more stable, you know, you got to think of your dot like a tower. The taller it is and the steeper that those shoulders are, the less stable it's going to be. So a thinner plate has a shorter tower. It's more stable. 
you're going to be able to hold finer detail, whether it's line work or screen work. Yeah. Okay. A big thing that comes into play too would be the type of ink you know, that, you know, you're going to be using on press, which really isn't my expertise. I'll be quite honest, but I do get a lot of comments about it because when you're doing say say in your instance with the rainbow they were reverses you know and in order to get that good coverage on the plate you know you have to have a, a an ink that lays well too so it's definitely something to be considered when you're you know when you're on the press um but like max was saying in general the 95 plate is is the more tolerant plate it holds the finer lines the smaller dots um more detail and it's the only um the only uh, relief that we offer in the digital, which can be the image can be laser and bladed directly to the material instead of put onto a film negative and then onto the material. So I always find that when you are doing finer work, I like to do the standard relief digital plate just to kind of take that extra step out and, and make sure that the, the image is going directly to the plate to, to begin with. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Absolutely. I think when we first like realized yeah, this option, we were both like, we had talked to one of our other printer friends and we were like, wait, do you remember when you did that one thing and it didn't quite work out? What if you did it this way instead? And now it would work out. It's just kind of mm -hmm. fun to, you know, it may not be a new concept necessarily, but it's fun to kind of open up new uh, options for, for us. Yeah. And like you were saying about the vector files, um, you know, of course, we're the same way. We, we we hammer the same thing. Vector, one color, make sure it's outlined. But truth is, we get everything that you can imagine. Um, and a lot of times people send in plates that end up being screened like your friend and um, that, that like what happened to your friend. Um, and then they're they're like, what's going on here? I, I took this floral image, I scanned it in. And now when I'm printing, I'm seeing that there's a little bit of like jaggedness around the lines, or the edges, I don't understand. And actually what they're seeing is the smaller percentages of that color um, plating that plated that are picking up ink and are you know printing essentially so it's not there's not anything defective in the plate or even in the art because some people like to print um, you know non-vector images raster images they like the look uh, so it, it it is something that when you are doing your files if you do not want screening 100% make sure that you check that it that it you know you're 100% of your color. Because if not, like Max said, it's going to take that 0.5%, that 1%, bump it to a 4%, and you're going to see it. Big percent. <laughs> yeah. So we had one customer that she wanted to, she didn't want to make, you know, 10 passes on something. But it was different shades of pink and red and, and greens and stuff like that. It was a floral So what we then decided to do was she's like, oh, I want to achieve this with different shades of the same color. So we actually created a tonal scale for her to then, you know, we did 85 line screen, 100 line screen, 110. And I said, hey, print this same plate in all of these colors and pick the tones that you like and what it's going to achieve and how it's going to achieve it. So you could even, you know, print that for, you know, your 10 or 15 most popular colors because, you know, sometimes you guys, you can't have every single ink under the sun and that's how you design. So you can increase the number of colors that you have without increasing your ink stores or anything like that. And you can keep those swatches and be like, okay, I want to achieve this, this rosy pink, but I, they also want this, this rich red. So, okay, I know I got to print it at 10%. Here's that 10% shade right there. And I'm still going to have my rich red and I'm not going to have to hit it twice, you know? Yeah, saving so really time on press is... You know, That's where all the money which is, is why there is, yeah, why there is so much rush orders, right? Because sometimes I think, oh my gosh, the amount of money they're paying in shipping, but nothing is more valuable than recouping time printing and um, being on the press. And when Max is referring to like the 85, the 100, the 110, he's talking about lines per inch. So when we rip a half tone or a screened file, typically for letter press, we like to stay in that 100 lines per inch because the higher that number gets 110 133 150 the smaller the dot gets so the finer the dot is the harder it is to hold the dot and the spacing in between the dots and it causes your image to get muddy yeah that at press it it, it increases docking the higher line yeah. screen it'll increase docking it's then tougher to control and tougher for you guys to control yeah, yeah. so the 100 lpi gives you a nice you know a it's nice a good intermediary. Holdable. Yep. yeah that's awesome
my wheels are turning over here. I'm literally and like, like <laughs> doing all the, yeah. and it can get very technical because, uh, you know, we use this process a lot in our flexographic practice because um, we make flexographic polymer plates for packaging and industry as well. And so it's huge. Like Max was saying, you go and you pick out a beautiful bread bag and it looks like it's got all these different colors on it. And most times they can do it yeah. CMYK spot, you know, so. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a very interesting, but it is very technical. And like Max was saying earlier, you can go from half tone to duo tone to full process, all the gamut, all of that. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, as a letterpress printer, especially like, um, you know, I mean, not that Mariah and I are extremely new at it at this point, but like being newer, stuff like this, like half tone printing, we've known about it. Um, haven't dabbled because it the idea of how to even create that artwork where to start so it's really comforting to even like have this conversation to be able to share it on the podcast knowing that like sending you the image and just being like hey is this something I can do can you let me know where to go from here is like a very awesome starting off point to be able to incorporate some new techniques into printing because you know at at the end of the day, sometimes like line drawings just aren't going to cut it for the style of whatever it is that you're creating. And to be able to incorporate a little bit of halftone or to actually have someone's like portrait printed on something is really cool. Yeah. And it's nice to be able to evolve in your practice, to be able yeah. to offer something new and exciting. And when you do something for a really long time, um, you know, it almost rejuvenates you to you know, to dive deeper into your craft. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But we, we're here to help. We want to help. And like Max was saying, um, if you send us the, the raw file, the composite file, and we can do the screening on our end, we can control so much more. Um, when you try to manipulate the file prior to sending it to us, that's when things can, you know, can get a little messy. So trust us, allow us yeah. to help you lean on us. We're very experienced and we have a lot of technology technology um to support us in the process too so awesome yeah. well we really appreciate that and then when it comes to these plates um is there anything different about them as far as their longevity or storage or cleaning them um because of all the tiny dots for us on our end i mean you do run the risk when cleaning of scrubbing off highlight dots um but you know, just take care, take your time, get the ink off as soon as possible. Don't pull it off the press and throw it on the counter and deal with it tomorrow. You know, Sounds that's like you not going to make a long lasting, <laughs> yeah. a long lasting plate in any sort. You know, it's, yeah. you know, it's just take care and, you know, it, because of the bump, everything, it's stable, you know, and it's got support because, you know, generally when it's screened, it's not all by itself. It's not, a little tiny dot on an eye that's out on an island by itself. It's part of a larger image and the shoulders yeah. will actually run together. So, you know, where you have 30 thousandths of relief, you'll only have 10. So when you're printing this sort of way, impression can be critical um, and stuff like that. But I wouldn't worry too much about the plate itself. Yeah, no, in my experience in the shop after proofing them, I mean, you need a little bit more elbow grease when you have a larger surface screen, right? Because it's like the ink gets really trapped down into those dots. And it's super important for me to get it really clean before I send it off because I'm proofing with black ink. What if you're printing with a, a lilac color? You know, that wouldn't, uh, yeah. would, would definitely affect the print right out the gate. No, so for me, I can treat and handle them the same. Um, you know, like it likes any other photopolymer plate storage, make sure you keep them with a piece of plastic and keep them in a plastic bag sealed. You could go the extra mile, put them in a drawer. Uh, you know, I have samples from when I went to my very first national stationery show, okay? This is pre-pandemic. And they have been sealed and kept in a box in a side room in our office. And somebody just casually stopped in the other day and asked about getting a piece of jewelry engraved, which many people do, and we don't do that. Um, but it was nice to be able to pass them up some of those samples just to have a tactile thing and feel and see what it is that we do. But they were still in excellent condition. And we're talking five years later, six years later. So that's amazing. Yeah, I know I've recently sealed. just printed um, a plate that I ordered in like 
2019, like early 2019, and I recently printed it, and I was like, I can't believe this thing is still printing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you take care of them, they will last. I mean, ultimately, it is a disposable method. They're not meant to last forever. Um, you know, the sticky back, same situation. It's good to have extra sticky back on hand so that you can reapply. Um, but yeah, if, if you take care of them, they'll take care of you. <laughs> On that subject, actually, do you guys know, is there any recycling uh, process for photopolymer plates okay. right now? Because I, I feel like there used to be an option, but it's no longer, I don't know. I, yeah. Anyway, so give us what you know about that. Yeah. So actually I just got a, I got an Instagram request the other day. Um, it was a previous customer who had sold her press and was kind of curious about the same situation. So I went to the recycling center um, in Concord. We have basically what's called a town dump you know, where you pay to throw your trash away, your larger items. And then there's also the recycling center. I took them a sample of each piece of material with the backing removed. Um, The person who managed the facility said that they could be recycled like a regular plastic um, water bottle as long as the backing was removed. So in our shop, whenever we have any excess or, um, you know, anything that needs to be disposed of, we just pull the backing off of and then we throw them in our regular recycling. And we've never had one issue. Every state is different. I would encourage you to call um, your, your town recycling center and see, maybe even go down, take a little sample and see what they say. But I know here in New Hampshire, you can remove the backing and toss them in your regular recycling. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, if it's just a simple nylon-based plastic. And, you know, that's why you hear from maybe possibly another recycling center or whatever that they turn them into lawn chairs and stuff like that. You know, it's the same thing that happens to your water bottles and, you know, anything else you recycle, that's how it's recycled is into non-food grade, you know, products that you can then use. So it's along the same line. Yeah. I did hear that the pre, you know, uh, um, another person who was doing a recycling program had stopped doing the recycling program. And so that's why people were kind of curious what they can do. And, you know, we didn't know the ins and outs of that recycling program, but we believe that it was, you know, being able to resell it to somebody who was going to then extrude that polymer and use it to make more, um, you know, plastic items, milk, milk jugs, plastic bottles, like that sort of thing. So ultimately it was being recycled the same way, just, uh, know uh, you know, value, in a different yeah. guise. <laughs> no, that makes yeah. total sense. I love it. I'll, yeah, I'm going to have to do some research on my local recycling, but that I have like, you know, I have my piles of plates I might reuse and plates I'll never reuse because they were custom things. And it's like, it's slowly getting larger and I just need to do something about it now. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys yeah, have like with the custom jobs about get sending the plate with them? Is that something that uh, they're ever interested in? Or do they even know that exists the end customer? I've had a couple who asked for theirs. I think um, I think what throws some people off is that they're reversed, yes. obviously. Yeah. Um, and because even that couple who asked for it when they got it, they were like, oh, yeah, it's reversed. I was like, but I pulled the backing off. So just put it like backwards, yeah. put it face backwards. down yeah. and you could see. Um, but the other thing is, is, and I think Mariah is kind of the same, is we stack our stuff so tight. Yeah, you like, see, sometimes oh, I yeah. put plates inside my plates. Yeah, if it's like a border, <laughs> definitely putting something small in the middle. Of yeah, that. and then I'm like there with an X-Acto blade cutting out whatever I put in the middle of it. Um, So they're not always that pretty, but <laughs> I have thought about like for the couple who asked for theirs, I gave them enough space. So when they received it, it was like, a nice rectangular piece of photopolymer. Um, I would love to know if they're doing anything with it, though. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, I do see some files, and I am pretty amazed because I'm nervous. I'm like, I don't even see how you can fit a pair of scissors in between that. (laughs) I read my last two orders. I really was Tetrising. I spent like an hour trying to get like every little plate onto these sheets. It's so funny. I mean, we definitely spend a lot of time. I had that really large uh, art print order and I was like, Shelly, how am I going to, I was just staring at all of them and I was like, how am I going to put these together in one like, like size? And you were like, oh, I can just, you know, 
narrow it down to like outside of the perimeter of the artwork and just do it that way. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. <laughs> like that saved me like an hour of just staring at my screen, trying to figure out how I was going to Tetris all these things together. I was like, oh, I'm so glad I just emailed you and asked you the question. <laughs> yes, we too play Tetris every day. Yes. And sometimes when it isn't a, a situation like that, where they were all a good size, I mean, they were larger yeah. size images. It's nice to be able to send them to us as individual pieces. And then we can Tetris them on our end where it's most yeah. effective for film output. And then obviously when we're making the plates, we're not making them one at a time. We're using a large sheet and we're filling the space. So we, you know, we like to do that. When they, when they are smaller, I will say if they come in and it's just a little line, like thank you or, you know, happy anniversary, those kind of things. I do step them automatically and put them on a plate just because for contact purposes, for plate making purposes, washout, it's going to hold better on the washout and, and give you a nicer quality plate in the end. Yeah. That's awesome. My children have entered. <laughs> Not sure Perfect. Yeah. Well, that works out great, I think. Yeah. I think all my questions are answered. I actually just have one more. This one, um, uh, a fellow printer actually asked me this, and then we had talked about the proofs. Uh, Shelly, you brought it up earlier. But the proofs that arrive with our plates, those are actually run by you guys with black ink from the plate directly, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We have we have an old Vandercook proofing press that we acquired used apparently back in the day, and it actually survived through a fire in the fifties. So, oh wow, gosh. yeah. So, because um, at that point we were we were uh, etching zinc at that point, and zinc, the place burned for like three days. <laughs> oh my gosh! But we re wow. reopened uh, where we where we currently are, and and that press uh, made the made the journey, and it's still run every single day Wild. we just recorded an episode about Vandercook, so i feel like i might need to put in an aside in that episode to be like and they're almost indestructible they're, they're almost indestructible <laughs> yeah i'll send you a picture of ours that's amazing <laughs> yeah that's so good to know because we were discussing just like inking issues on the press which with these older presses is so common because like nothing is level on them so you can have the best plate and you can have the best roller and your press is still going to give you a heck of a time with inking. Um, but I just asked her, I was like, well, did you look at the proof that was run? Because they run that directly off the plate. And she goes, oh my gosh, do they? I thought that was like a part of the plate making process and they just send it to you so they don't have trash. <laughs> like, no. no, it's definitely a proof. We run two, two copies. Yeah, we give you a proof and we keep a proof. That way we have it, you know, on our end in case anybody reaches out and they, you know, they have any issues. We can always see if, Verify see, double check on our end to see if we have yeah. the same issue. Yeah. But that is an actual proof of your plate. And we tell people, check them immediately. Yeah. Check them That's immediately. That's such a comfort. Yeah. yeah. I use mine. I mark mine up with where I need to cut my plate because that's how much Tetrising I do. Like, I can't even remember what a crop mark is meant to go with which one of these pieces of artwork. At this point. Yeah. I, I always like pull out that proof and I immediately just check all the little dots and make sure they're all there. Like even if I do nothing else with it, I make sure all my little dots are where they're supposed to be, especially when it's really small or like really fine, you know, lines and things like that. Yeah. I'm doing the same thing. Yeah, it's helpful because I do the file preparation too. So as I'm looking at the file on the screen, I'm saying to myself, oh, that might be problematic. I'm going to need to make sure I look closely at that at the end of the day to make sure that that's still there. And sometimes they won't even have the proof pulled and I'm already like the dot's missing. And Max is like, huh? And I'm like, I knew that was going to be a problem already. I had my eye on that thing. You know, we try to do everything we can to pre-fight any problems before it goes to plate. And we always say in-house, you know, it's not a mistake until it ships. So, um, but, you know, we are, we are very fortunate that we have good plate making processes in place. We have really great quality control. I want to give us a shout out and say that even with everything that's going on in the economy, with inflation, we have not raised our prices. We are still at 50 cents a square inch with our quarter inch trim for billing. So we're really proud of that because we're a small business and so much of being able to continue to operate is dependent on small businesses like you, you ladies and, and other letterpress printers. And, uh, and, you know, we want to, we want to keep the craft alive. And so we do everything on our end to try to make sure we control as much as we can. Um, that way we don't have to pass on our burdens 
to our customers in the the face of a, a price increase. And also so you guys can concentrate on printing in your art form and that make ready that you were just talking about and how tough it can be on these hundred year old presses. So, well, you're never going to get that off of an Epson or something else or an HP printer. So that's what's actually worth it. You know, the tactile feel and the beauty of the, of the end product. I couldn't agree more. And we appreciate you guys so much. I mean, I'm constantly talking about how amazing the relationship has been since day one. Like a fellow printer referred me to you guys. And since then, it's just been awesome to be able to ping you for advice or even just celebrate different milestones. And it's it's been really great. And we appreciate having you on the podcast too. Great. Yeah. Thank yes, for thanks us. for having us back. It was fun. <laughs> of course. Mariah, any other last questions before we head out? Don't think so. I think that covers it for me. I'm going to go design up something fun to print. We'll look it over for you. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much again for coming on. And um, if you guys want to share anything about how people can find you, reach you, and all of that good stuff. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, our website is uh, www.conkerdengraving.com. Feel free to check us out there. There's a lot of great information under the letterpress uh, tab about file preparation and how to get in contact with us, pricing. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me directly, Shelly, and I'll do anything I can to help you out. Awesome. Yay. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you. And, thank you so much, uh, yeah. Can't wait to think of something else to have you on the podcast for. (laughs) Let's do, let's do some embossing. Oh my gosh. I think I do have, yeah, I actually do have an embossing job coming up. My first, my first official embossing job. So I'm sure I'll be emailing you shortly um, with that, but (laughs) I'm sure I'll have plenty of We love samples too. Send us, send us your your failures, whichever one, you know, the more information we have, the more we can help people out. So. Deal. Oh my gosh. That. I've got a box of things I could send you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we will see you next time. Definitely. That Thank you, great. ladies. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Okay. Well, that was awesome. I literally have so many ideas rolling around in my brain right now. I can't wait. Um, I, when she said I'm, watercolors, I was like, brilliant, brilliant. I was like, I oh, no, this is going to be a problem, isn't it? <laughs> and the immediate relief when they were like, please don't do it yourself. Please send the image to us. I was just like, oh, my God, why can't everything be like that? Because Seriously. we get a lot of comments or feedback on our embossing episode. And I still use our um, embossing social media graphic every single time that I go to make an embossing plate, which I have made many at this point. I Mm -hmm. still use that graphic because the process is so stinking complicated. And then I have a notes app where like one day I went and I did the math for like every single piece of paper that I like to use, the different weights and figured out the line thickness that I needed for a gap. Um, because it's just like, it's so much work, but I know that if I were to actually just send that to Shelly and like, tell her what my paper was, she would probably just set it up for me. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to some, like, but that is the embossing plate is doable, but when it comes to something like these halftone images, like, yeah, the thing that I made was so easy. I'll post a photo to social media. It's just like, three bands of color they overlap to make a whole rainbow and it looks really dope it was so easy to set up but something like you know i have this beautiful portrait of my grandmother i would love to letterpress that portrait of my grandmother i wouldn't know where to start with that so the idea yeah. that i could just send them her photo and or the photo itself yeah 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 that's so great I've seen some really cool and so I mean like early on in my printing you know exploration where you're like scrolling the internet and Pinterest and all these things like learning about letterpress and looking for just more letterpress stuff right I definitely remember seeing like kind of CMYK process type halftones and so that was what I had always pictured where like you know you have these overlapping colors that make an image of almost infinite color you know and like I understand that that's you know difficult on a 8 by 12 platen press, but 
um, certainly not impossible if we've proven anything at this point. <laughs> but yeah, but um, it's just fun to think like like that's something I probably never would have tackled without knowing that I have somebody like Shelly and Max to like help walk us through that process. Um, you know, it's something that I think in many letterpress scenarios, it's a little intimidating. And you're like, how do you even start to try and make this into a halftone? Um, so I think it's it's really great that Shelly is always, first of all, so helpful and immediate like to be like, oh, yeah, well, here's what you can do. Or she'll be like, I can just do this. It's really simple. You know, she'll tell you she is not going to be like, beat around the bush or try and make you do it if it's easier for her or vice versa. So, um, yeah, she's she's just incredibly helpful on that end. And then, um, yeah, just it's so helpful to have them as a resource for sure. Yeah. Highly, highly, highly recommend as a plate vendor. Um, yeah. They're just, they're so nice. And uh, the ordering process is so reliable. I have, like, yeah. I have it down to a science where I know if I order by this minute, I will get it on <laughs> this day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They, they're I mean, just that reliable. Their so. consistency is really massive. And like that, it makes such a difference. Um when you're trying to plan your print jobs around literally everything else that life has to offer. Um, and like the shipping, what do they do? Like two day air on everything over a certain amount or something. Yeah. 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 It's two day. It's- and uh, I mean, I even ordered just like a single invitation one time and it was still two day. Yeah. Um, so it's two day and it's like a flat rate. Uh, I think like $10. Um, and Overnight has definitely gone up, but that is not on Shelly and Max. That is definitely oh, a FedEx yeah. thing. And yeah, it is now FedEx. like $50 to overnight things FedEx. So here's to breaking the habit of overnighting. <laughs> I wish you the best of luck, Jillian. <laughs> hey, I told you I, ha- I have actually made it wildly far into the year without having to overnight anything. And then I did have to overnight like two in a row, but they were rush order projects where like Not that overnight fault, yeah. fee is baked into their rush order. So um, I've been doing pretty good. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Yeah. Yeah. I also think I've things, just but... adopted this like if this project really, especially because it's usually our projects and I'm like, you know, if this project can't wait two days, that's ridiculous. Like anything could wait two days because yeah. what ends up happening is we overnight them and then they sit there. Yeah. Or they arrive and like you aren't printing anymore that day or whenever it is. Or yeah. like, you know, I think there was, was it like an overnight or something, but you had plates arriving and it's like normally your FedEx person is there by this time in the morning, but they didn't arrive until like 8 p.m. or something. It's like, oh oh, it's inevitable if you rush them there's going to be some kind of delay on the other end that just like <laughs> it's going to make it not worth it. So, yeah. 100%. So anyway, I hope that all of our listeners really enjoyed this episode because I know we both did. We went into it not really knowing anything about screen plates. And- I knew, ze- well, not zero. I knew like 1% of the information about how to create a halftone or whatever. I knew what a halftone was and that's about yes. it. I had no idea how to make that happen. And um, now I'm dreaming up ideas on how to do it. And the idea that we could create rosettes and like color, we could basically do the CMYK process on our presses, which is something that like I kind of knew, but like didn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. I totally know what you mean. I also, do you ever feel like sometimes we're working through this letterpress journey and like learning all these skills? Do you ever feel like we're kind of like living the timeline of printing? Like (laughs) we started out like, (laughs) now we're evolving into like process spot color printing. Yeah. And like, (laughs) what's next? We're going to move into digital printing. Hell no. I'll tell you what. I'm kidding. I know. I... I am done with digital printing. <laughs> I'm done. I've never had a better relationship with my digital printer. Um, I printed a slew of uh, envelopes with addresses this week, and it was like knock on freaking wood. It was the smoothest digital yeah. print job of my life. So um, I'm in a good place with my digital printer right now, but I do not want to rock the boat and change anything up. Um, but I just yeah. feel like it's really funny. Like we're learning these new skills as we're developing in our print journey, and it feels a little like. <laughs> We're just working through the print timeline and like, yes. the history of printing. So 
It um, does. If you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to it and you'll see what we're talking about. <laughs> yes, history. I think it's it's episode one, possibly. History and Heavy Machinery. What is it called? His, is yes, it? History Hold and on. Heavy Machinery. It is episode one. We do have an episode zero, which is us doing a live stream on Instagram promoting the podcast, which I have re-listened to recently, and I effing love it. Yeah, I know. I listened to our one of our really old episodes a long time ago, and I was like, oh, this was actually really cute. History and heavy machinery. Wow, I remember that. You did remember that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The first episode, first few episodes we recorded, I was literally in a tent in my bedroom i think that and well and you were in your apartment and you oh. sat like you had that little alcove and you like put up like a blanket and like the little sound thing like now we're just like raw dog in this uh recording session every week we're just like oops our gain was really high or really low oopsies okay but i also have a much quieter office now like before that little bungalow that we lived in you could hear everything everyone said as they walked by yeah. And for some reason, there was always people blowing leaves. Always. <laughs> they really were up on the yard maintenance in the in the courtyard. <laughs> and if you could see how sad and pathetic that courtyard looks as far as maintenance, like none of it was funny. justifiable. It's pretty funny all around. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So awesome. we love that episode. Thank you, Max and Jelly. Um, if you're a printer, definitely go check out Concord Engraving. And... I was going to say, we'll include links to their website and Shelly's email in the show notes. So you can just shoot her any questions you have. Um, and if you're ready to order letterpress plates, you can just send her your file. And uh, yeah, if you have questions about halftones, embossing plates, um, or letterpress plates in general, they are always super helpful. So I um, highly recommend you reach out to them at Concord Engraving. Yeah. And if you want to follow us, you can find us over on Instagram at Hot Off the Press Pod. And if you would like to send us an email to make a episode suggestion or ask us a question, maybe you're a little too nervous to reach out um, to Max and Shelly and you want to go vis-a-vis us, you could totally do that. <laughs> uh, our email is hello at hotoffthepresspodcast.com. Yay. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. You were really holding out there. I really went for that one today. I don't know. It just felt right. It just felt I right. I like it. <laughs>